Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Kalia Waddles, and today we'll be mapping cervical fluid on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it causes us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, recommendations, and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Kalia Waddles. Dr. Waddles is a naturopathic physician specializing in fertility and functional medicine. Dr. Waddles combines her naturopathic and functional medicine training to treat patients with a functional fertility perspective using a root cause science-based body systems approach to cultivating a fertile body. She is dedicated to using this patient-centered method to support patients anywhere on their fertility journey, whether they're thinking about getting pregnant for the first time or exploring advanced fertility treatments. Furthermore, Dr. Waddles is passionate about providing fertility education and empowers women with the information they need to plan for the future of their dreams. Dr. Waddles, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic, and I want to just start us out by kind of identifying what cervical fluid is and, you know, why it's Mm -hmm. important, and we'll be off and running from there. Yes. Cervical fluid is one of my most beloved topics. I'm talking to everyone about this, my friends, my patients, people on the street, whoever I can bring up the subject with. And sometimes my patients blush a little bit when I bring this up in the clinic, but it's really a foundational piece of information that we have to talk about. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people who are hoping to get pregnant. And of course, one of our first goals is to identify ovulation and that very important fertile window. And we can use things like basal body temperature and ovulation predictor kits, but our cervical fluid is free information that our body is giving us every day. It requires no other tools, just body awareness and that connection with ourself, which I think is so beneficial for fertility and beyond. So I love to get people engaged with their own menstrual cycle. And that involves monitoring their cervical fluid, which allows you to identify, you know, your fertile window, but it also gives you some indication about your hormonal status and lifestyle things like hydration, simple information that we can collect 
from these messages our body is already giving us. It's so important. I agree. I actually go back to the time when I was trying to get pregnant. This is a long time ago now, and the tools were not as readily available as they are now. And my students who have been through the reproductive intensive inside of Full Body Systems have heard me tell the story about this was almost my like awakening into the realm Mm -hmm. of a functional ideology to go like, wait a minute, why did nobody teach me this? about my very own body, that I actually have this information right inside of me that gives me clues. Oh, I hear that story every day when I'm teaching women in their 30s about cervical fluid. And they're like, how did how did this never come up before when right? this information has been there this entire time? And I just didn't know what to look for. And I, I love to give some education about that because it's really a testament to the innate wisdom of the human body. And I think it really can deepen our appreciation for the information that our body is feeding back to us every day to make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So what is that change and how do we tap into it and what does it tell us? That's a lot to talk into, but bring Mm -hmm. us down some of that road of education so we can help to educate our clients and patients. Absolutely. I love to talk about the purpose of cervical fluid because even more than helping us to identify ovulation, which I'll talk about how it does that, it serves some other really important and quite frankly, fascinating roles. So the first one is it, it protects sperm from an acidic vaginal environment. Mm-hmm. And when you look in the, in the medical literature, I always think it's a bit funny. It talks about, you know, the hostile vaginal environment. <laughs> and while I think that language is a bit aggressive, the point is well taken that uh, the female reproductive tract, it does tend to be a bit acidic. And so fertile fluid is more alkaline and it protects sperm uh, so that they can extend their lifespan within the female reproductive tract, which is so important. And then another really interesting piece is that it filters abnormal sperm because they likely won't be strong enough to swim through it. And to illustrate that point, I'll tell you a little bit about the structure of cervical fluid. You know, for the majority of the month, the fluid is thick and it contains these crisscrossed fibers that form a web really that make it difficult for sperm to swim. They get caught up in this sticky web. But as we get closer to ovulation, estrogen is increasing and really the whole game is changing because under that signaling from estrogen, those fibers in the fertile fluid, they start to straighten out and they create what I call a sperm superhighway. Mm. It really is directing sperm right to the cervix so that it can start swimming up the, the reproductive tract to where it belongs so it can fertilize an egg. The, the interesting piece here also is that when we look at fluid under electron microscopy, we see that those fibers normally in, in the majority of the month, the spaces in between them is so small that it's actually smaller than a sperm head. So the, the sperm, they aren't able to traverse through that fluid, they're getting stuck. Mm -hmm. But as we enter that periovulatory phase, the spaces between those fibers that are now, not only are they straight, but those spaces are getting bigger so that the sperm head can actually fit through those space. And I mean, that's just mind blowing to me that 
the, the microstructure of the fluid is changing that much to optimize fertility potential. That's just crazy to me. So when we think about the time and the, the way that the structure changes over the time of the cycle, does that also change in the cervical fluid over the lifespan? It, it certainly can. Do you mean like as a woman ages? Yeah, does the as a 50-something-year-old mm-hmm. asking you. <laughs> I mean, absolutely right. If we think about these microstructural changes being uh, at the direction of estrogen mm-hmm. and how estrogen changes over a, a woman's lifespan, there, there can certainly be some changes. And I think we see that, right? We see patients that maybe they always saw fertile cervical fluid midway through their cycle. And then as they're getting older, they're not seeing it as frequently. And that completely makes sense. And when we think about the purpose of the cervical fluid in relation to fertility, are there other purposes for the health of the hostile vaginal terrain? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And one of them is when I'm talking to patients about this, I'm saying, this cervical fluid is sperm food. Mm-hmm. When you look at the literature, they're a little bit more eloquent and they're saying the sperm is biochemically nurtured within fertile fluid. And really this means there's a nice mixture of salt and potentially some glucose and some you know, antioxidants and all of these things that are nurturing, biochemically nurturing the sperm to allow them to hang out in the female reproductive tract. And this is really interesting that if we think about fluid as um, somewhat of a sperm reservoir or a, a sperm lobby, if you will, mm-hmm. that the biochemical composition that's, that nurtures the sperm allows them to hang out for several days. And this is really advan- advantageous because, you know, a, an egg is ovulated and then it is potentially active for 12, maybe 24 hours. But sperm in optimal fluid conditions can live five days. And this is really important for my counseling of patients of saying, let's start having sex a couple days before you're going to ovulate. Because if we're maximizing the health of your cervical fluid, those sperm are going to hang out in there and be nurtured and they'll be ready to go when that egg is released. So it's really awesome the way that the fluid can nurture and maintain the sperm. So there's a few things you spoke about already, and I'm wondering if we can dive into some of them. The first one is estrogens that you're mentioning. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if there are ways that you work with your patients around their estrogen balance or how Mm -hmm. they're optimizing the appropriate estrogens to support their cervical fluid. Yeah. There's actually a lot of things that we can do that go even beyond hormonal issues. So certainly, certainly estrogen is one of them. Uh, I I see quite often, actually, my patients that start out at a very low body weight, Mm. so potentially have some low estrogen, they do have some struggles with production of cervical fluid. So treating those underlying things, the things that, you know, we might call the bottom of the matrix, the things like nutrition, hydration, stress management, all of those pieces are going to be really foundational before we start doing anything else, because that's of course going to affect hormone balance. Uh, And then, and dehydration, dehydration is actually a really huge one here because cervical fluid is 95 to 98% water. Actually the sperm transport through fluid is, is great when the hydration level is about 97% of the fluid. So 
staying hydrated is a crucially important foundational step to all of this. So it's hormone balance, it's hydration. You know, I give essential fatty acids quite Mm -hmm. often when cervical fluid is not as robust as I want it to be. And I, I see that especially in the follicular phase of the cycle, which is day one of bleeding until ovulation, if we ramp up the fatty acids, it can really help with both production, so quantity and with quality. Hmm, really interesting. I was going to ask you about hydration. It's so interesting to me how often hydration is bypassed. It's a non-negotiable, right? And yet it's bypassed and it can impact so many things, even in relation to our red blood cell function. But people don't think about it. It seems obvious, but sometimes we need to actually counsel into it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm guilty of this one too, of not checking in about hydration. We take it for granted, like you said, but in this case, when it starts to manifest in ways that we can see. And then when I say, let's increase hydration and follow that really general rule of half your body weight in ounces, and all of a sudden cervical fluid is improving, that's really great feedback that hydration is actually super important. Yeah, so important. So hydration was one I was thinking about in addition Mm -hmm. to the hormones, but also you mentioned pH. And I'm wondering if the pH anywhere else in the body impacts the pH in the cervical area. This is certainly a great point that is well debated, and I can't (laughs) say for sure any specific answer, but I think when we think in general how we can kind of cultivate an alkaline environment, that means eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, right? Like that's how, that's the baseline approach, and that's going to spill over in and have so many benefits in fertility elsewhere that that's always part of the counseling anyway. And so even though I can't, I can't say anything definitive, I think doing the things that we know are generally alkalinizing is a safe bet. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I think that we often bypass, especially in today's dietary fads, the importance of all the rainbow of colors that we can be eating that are alkalinizing for the most part. The other thing that really strikes me in this conversation, Dr. Waddles, is what it means to empower women with this information and how they actually do have some influence Mm -hmm. over the results that they're experiencing with fertility, with uh, how they feel. And I'm wondering how the conversation about cervical fluid is something you see as an empowering agent. This is a game-changing conversation for a lot of people, like we talked about before. And can you imagine if someone was teaching you all of this information when you were 15 and you just went into adulthood knowing what to look for and and knowing what this meant. And I actually, I just had a patient and I I taught her about cervical fluid and I stepped out of the room to type up my treatment plan. And I came back and she said, I am on a group text with 10 of my girlfriends telling them everything that you just taught me about cervical fluid. And we're all just going crazy over this because, you know, it's so important and no one's out there doing this education from a health promotion, health maintenance standpoint. And so I think the fact that, like like you just said, the, there's information here that you can collect that if it's suboptimal, we have so many tools to maximize that. That is incredibly encouraging. And the fact that it shifts your intention to more self-awareness and you start journaling about your cervical fluid, that's a deeper level of 
intuition than I think a lot of people have experienced before and how powerful in so many ways. I love it. I really love all the ways that we can kind of tap into what's happening in our body and use it for information and then change our behaviors and our habits to make a change based on the feedback that we got. And this is one of those places that I feel so passionate about. And I love that you're teaching into it. I'm wondering if there are other really major triggers that you see that are depleting for the quality and quantity of our cervical fluid. Mm -hmm. Some things I'm thinking about are medications are Mm -hmm. a big one, antihistamines, cough suppressants. Those are really you know, those medications can really affect all of our mucous membranes, our our cervix being one of them. And so I definitely am taking a look at medications. Uh, Cervical infections can be one because it's potentially causing chronic inflammation of the cells that are producing cervical fluid. So we're we're screening for and treating cervical infections if that's indicated. Um, Sometimes cervical procedures, so something like a LEAP procedure can cause some scar tissue on the cervix and that may affect fluid production. Production. So if we're doing our health maintenance and our primary care check-ins, we're, we're kind of catching those things sometimes, but those can certainly be contributors as well. Dr. Waddles, anything else that we didn't get to talk about? I know this is an area you're so passionate about, and there's probably, you know, enough information to talk about for hours about this, but is there anything you really want other coaches and clinicians to know that helps us work with our patient populations? I think my biggest goal in this whole conversation is just to normalize this conversation. When I I see my patient's eyes, when I ask them to collect their cervical fluid (laughs) off of their tissue and they use the restroom and stretch it between their fingers and their eyes are so wide and it's such a new concept. And I think we all have a role to play in just normalizing this, uh, intervening if, if we have access to, you know, young women who are coming in in a primary care setting, if we have access to just exposing them to this information, I think it can be so helpful to set them up for success in, in whatever, whatever information they need in the future, they, they will know what to look for. Yes, yeah, such an empowering conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Waddles. Thank you so much for letting me talk about my favorite subject. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 